0: Get ready to listen, learn, and earn CE hours. This podcast features content from an accredited CE activity provided by Calibri Healthcare. Visit EliteLearning.com podcasts for accreditation and disclosure statements and instructions on how you may be able to earn
1: CE credits. Hello and welcome back for part two of our series on vitamin D. I'm Leanna McGuire, your host for this Elite Learning podcast by Calibri Healthcare. And back with me is Dr. Michael Hollick. Thank you again, Dr. Holick, for taking the time to continue this discussion.
0: My pleasure.
1: We're so glad to have you. Now let's dive into sources of vitamin D, including making vitamin D from sunshine. Also, questions about vitamin D level testing. Dr. Holick, tell us about vitamin D and the sun. I know you have a good way of explaining the benefits, risks, and nuances. So you have the mic. (laughs) Is it as simple as going outside and getting some vitamin D?
0: Um, well, first of all, um, let me just talk just a little bit about vitamin D2 and vitamin D3. Um, please, so vitamin please. D2 um, comes from yeast. Uh, it's the precursor ergosterol. This was made back in the 1930s and was used for fortification of food uh, in Europe and the United States um, for for decades. Uh, vitamin D3 is what you make in your skin, Uh, Mm. is found in cod liver oil, found in oily fish like salmon. Um, Got it. From from my experience, vitamin D2 is as effective as vitamin D3 in maintaining vitamin D status. Okay. So talking about the sun. And so um, as I had mentioned in part one, time of day, season, latitude, degree of skin pigmentation all play a role. And I'll give you some insight. So for example, you would think that if you're in Texas um, at eight o'clock in the morning on a sunny summer day, right? That you go out, do your jogging, uh, make your vitamin D and less damaging to your skin. That's usually what the recommendation is from dermatologists. Go out in the early morning and late afternoon. It turns out you cannot make any vitamin D before about nine, 10 o'clock in the morning, even if you live at the equator, and it abruptly stops at around three to four o'clock in the afternoon. And the reason is that it's the same for living here in Boston in the wintertime. You cannot make any vitamin D in your skin from about the end of October until uh, around middle of April. And the reason is it's the zenith angle of the sun. And if it's more oblique, it has to go through more ozone. And the vitamin D-producing rays are absorbed by the ozone layer. And so as a result, morning sunlight is just like winter sunlight. And so it's really important um, to know when you're going out. Skin pigmentation, it's well documented that... People of color need much more exposure because the melanin is like a natural sunscreen. and It's absorbing the vitamin D-producing rays, uh, reducing vitamin D production. We did a study in um, um, black adults with very dark skin and showed compared to a white adult like myself, they would need to be outside five to 10 times longer to make the same amount of vitamin D. Interesting. What about sunscreen use, right? Mm-hmm. A sunscreen with an SPF of 30, by definition, is supposed to be absorbing about 97.5% of your ultraviolet B radiation. Ultraviolet B radiation is responsible for making vitamin D. And so, therefore, if you put on the sunscreen properly, it will reduce your ability to make vitamin D in your skin by 97.5%. Goodness. And goodness. and we did a study in farmers many years ago and showed farmers who wore sunscreen all the time because of worry about skin cancer. They had a history. They were vitamin D deficient. So... Yeah, because they were wearing sunscreen all the time. And so time of day, season, latitude, of skin pigmentation, all play a role.
1: So how do we find you the balance? Than, Go ahead. Sorry.
0: So just what, one of the questions that I'm often asked is, well, how much can you make? Right. So we did another study, in healthy adults, and we put them in a tanning bed, which has UVB radiation for making vitamin D, and in a bathing suit and expose them to what's called one minimal erythemal dose. And we compared that to giving an oral dose of vitamin D. One whole body exposure in in a bathing suit, right, will produce about um, 15,000 to 20,000 units of vitamin D. So your skin has a huge capacity to make vitamin D.
1: So how do we find the balance between intake of vitamin D and mitigating risk from sunshine exposure with regard to unhealthy rays? Can you talk about UVA and UVB rays for us?
0: Sure. Well, UVA rays make no vitamin D. And UVA rays, even though they have less energy, they actually penetrate deeply into your skin because your, your DNA and RNA and other properties in your skin don't absorb it. So it goes deep down. And as a result, it affects your immune system. Um, and may increase risk for melanoma. Um, UVB, excessive exposure, increases risk for non-melanoma skin cancer. But it's been shown that occupational sun exposure reduces risk of melanoma, right? The most serious um, kind of skin cancer. Um, and, and so I think you know the listeners should be aware of this. Um, and so how do you balance all this? So like I said, there's 100 units in a glass of milk or orange juice fortified with vitamin D, right? You need, in my opinion, based on the Endocrine Society practice guidelines on vitamin D, I chaired that committee and those members were all experts in vitamin D. We recommended 400 to 1,000 units in infants, 600 to 1,000 units in children, and I think teenagers should be treated like adults, which is 1,500 to 2,000 units a day. If you're obese, vitamin D gets diluted in your body fat. You need two to three times more vitamin D. So bottom line is we did a study many years ago from the National Health Survey you talked about. We showed even to, even to try to get to 600 units a day, no child or adult is able to get enough vitamin D from dietary sources. The problem is that you're not a hunter gatherer any longer, and so just exposing your face, which we don't recommend because it's the most sun exposed, so I always tell my patients wear sun protection, either a hat or sun sunscreen, right, but arms, legs, abdomen, and back is okay, and what you want is to be out there for a amount of time that would that would be about twenty five to fifty percent of the time that it would cause you to have a mild pinkness to your skin 24 hours later, known as an MED. So you can't get enough from sun exposure unless you are a lifeguard, <laughs> or if you're a hunter-gatherer.
1: Right. And so a right. study was
0: done, a study was done in Maasai herders, um, and they showed, right, that they're out, out all the time, right, at Hazda um, Bushman as well, that their blood levels on average are about 40 to 60 nanograms per ml. And here's a, just another point, right, which is human breast milk contains essentially no vitamin D. So if you are breastfeeding your infant, there absolutely needs 400 units a day, as recommended by the American Academy of Pediatrics. But the real question should be it doesn't make any sense. Why would Mother Nature not have adequate vitamin D in human breast milk? Well, it turns out a study was done by. Bruce Hollis and Carol Wagner, and they showed, if you give lactating women 6,400 units a day, they put enough vitamin D in their milk to satisfy their infant's requirement. So that's why we're beginning to realize that we need a lot more vitamin D. And I think the hunter-gatherers, like I said, they're 40 nanogram per ml. You would need to take about 4,000 to 5,000 units a day. Now,
1: we're... What about rays of sun being filtered through a car window or a window at work or even at home?
0: Yeah. So a study was done back in the 1930s, and um, they showed yeah, that, um, that you can't make any vitamin D when you're exposed to sunlight through glass. The glass absorbs all UVB.
1: I'm also curious about how geographic location plays a role in this topic. Uh, I know someone who traveled to a location closer to the equator and received the worst sunburn of their life. It wasn't a really bad sunburn because they'd use sunscreen, but it was definitely the worst for them.
0: Yeah, you know, so there's a concept out there which is really incorrect, and that is that um, if you are out there for a very long time, you can make lots of vitamin D. Mother Nature designed us so that. We can make enough as a hunter-gatherer, so you never want to get a sunburn. And um, and as a result, if we showed, we published this to show that excessive exposure to sunlight actually destroys the vitamin D that you are making, and so it doesn't benefit in terms of latitude. Like I said, if you live near the equator, right? If you live below about Atlanta, Georgia, you can make vitamin D in your skin year round right? But so, for example, in Florida, in the wintertime, you probably make about 10 to 20% of what you would make in the summertime, okay? But if you live above Atlanta, Georgia, basically, you cannot make any significant vitamin D from about, like I said, end of October until the, the next April. And the higher you go, the longer that period. So, for example, we did a study in Edmonton, Canada, showed six months of the year, they basically cannot make any vitamin D when they're out exposed to sunlight.
1: Interesting. So our bodies can make vitamin D from exposure to sunshine in the ways you explained. Other sources include diet, supplementation, and what else? Is there anything else?
0: Right. So my recommendation has always been for my patients and even for myself and my family, you have to take a supplement. It's the only way to guarantee sufficiency. And we don't recommend, the endocrine society does not recommend, and I don't recommend to my patients that they should be getting their blood levels tested, right? If they're getting an adequate amount of vitamin D, unless they have a malabsorption problem or a hypersensitivity to vitamin D, if you take the amount of vitamin D recommended by the endocrine society, you should be vitamin D sufficient, And so it's only those that are not, uh, uh, that have other issues that you should be measuring their blood level.
1: And is there a recommended dosage from research or reputable organizations about intake?
0: So like I said, the Institute of Medicine, they did a population model study, right? And they reported that children, well, infants, 400 units a day. Children and adults, 600 units a day. But like I said, the Endocrine Society practice guidelines, our recommendations were for health professionals, how to treat and prevent vitamin D deficiency. And reviewing all the literature, we concluded that infants, 400 to 1,000 units a day. And so that you don't have to worry about just 400, but up to 1,000 units is perfectly safe. Children, 600 to 1,000 units a day and then adults 1,500 to 2,000 units a day, and obese people need two to three times more.
1: We've discussed a lot of really interesting information so far, all of which helps us understand more about the complexity of vitamin D intake. Now, let's specifically talk about testing. If a healthcare provider orders a vitamin D level, most are familiar with serum testing, taking a blood sample and sending it for analysis. Are there other ways to test for vitamin D levels? I'm just curious.
0: No. And make sure that if you're gonna get your doctor to m- measure your vitamin D status, right? You're not measuring your vitamin D level because you don't measure vitamin D. Vitamin D status, you're twenty five hydroxy vitamin D. You don't ever want to order one twenty five dihydroxy vitamin D because it's normal or elevated when you're vitamin D deficient. And there's uh-huh. a reason for that.
1: Yeah. Oh, okay. Are there interpretation details that are helpful to be aware of? For example, are there things that you can interfere with an accurate, trusted result other than things like improper lab technique or a bad or clotted blood sample?
0: Um, The gold standard assay is what's called liquid chromatography tandem mass spectroscopy. It's extremely reliable. There are also more quick assays that are antibody-related, and they can be problematic. Um, and not always as accurate as you would like them to be. So liquid chromatography tandem mass spectroscopy, which is readily available in the United States, uh, would be a good choice.
1: Okay. I think many are used to hearing about vitamin D in terms of international units. Can you tell us about the unit of measurement of international units and when we see something with micrograms?
0: Right. So 25 nanograms is Uh equal to one international unit. Okay. So 400 units is 10 micrograms.
1: Got it. Okay. Wow. We've discussed effects of vitamin D sources and intake and lab factors related to vitamin D. What are other health benefits related to vitamin D, Dr. Hollick?
0: Well, just to give you kind of a rundown, as we talked about preeclampsia, premature births, Mm -hmm. asthma, wheezing disorders, dental caries in infants, decreased risk for autoimmune disorders but also decreased risk for cardiovascular disease, including heart attack and stroke. Also there's good evidence reduces risk for depression and neurocognitive dysfunction, including Alzheimer's disease and also good evidence that it helps to reduce risk of infection.
1: Wow, that's amazing. Okay. And what about its relationship to COVID? Is there any information about vitamin D and COVID?
0: So we did a study back in 2020, as soon as this pandemic uh, was initiated and working with the reference laboratory. And we collected 191,000 blood samples of COVID positive patients Mm -hmm. and demonstrated that if you are vitamin D sufficient, you had a 54% reduced risk of acquiring this um, infection. Right? And then yes. we went on to do another study in Iran and then also in our own hospital and showed if your vitamin D sufficient when you walk into the hospital reduces risk of having complications from uh, COVID and also reduces risk of morbidity and mortality by more than 54%. Many other studies have have shown um, very similar observations. So we think that improvement in vitamin D status is very important in this era um, of the COVID pandemic.
1: I've heard another physician say something about if you're going to have to fight COVID, why fight COVID with a low vitamin D level? So uh, that is interesting. That's exactly what I expected you to say. Uh, So make sure you have a normal level before you face the infection correct? Be strong before you get sick. What do you think about that line or thought?
0: Well, I mean, we didn't talk very much about bone health, um, but it turns out that vitamin D deficiency not only can precipitate and exacerbate osteoporosis, which are basically holes in your bones, which does not cause bone pain but it can also cause another disorder known as osteomalacia, which causes aches and pains in your bones and muscles. And even physicians have come to me thanking me for my New England Journal review that they read, realizing in the wintertime when they were feeling fatigued, depressed, they had aches and pains in their bones and muscles, they just thought that they were being overworked, right? And it was just the weather. No, they were vitamin D deficient. And they had osteomalacia, which causes aches and pains in your bones and muscles. And so improvement in your vitamin D status can definitely have um, additional health benefits.
1: So there's really no downside unless it gets too high.
0: Exactly. And that's usually the conclusion of my presentations. There is no downside to increasing your vitamin D intake, right, unless you have Mike, we talked about hypersensitivity to vitamin D, then you need to talk to your doctor. But otherwise, if you take the amount recommended by the Endocrine Society practice guidelines, right, infants, 400 to 1,000 units, children, 600 to 1,000 units, teenagers and adults, 1,500 to 2,000 units a day, and if you're obese, two to three times more. I personally take 6,000 units of vitamin D a day, and my blood level is 72 nanograms per ml.
1: Wow. All right. I hope when everyone's paying attention to that, who's listening? Because this is this is a really really important stuff. This has really been a fascinating uh, fascinating interview with you, Dr. Holick. I'm amazed, and and what a journey from being assigned vitamin D to uh, it literally changed your life, and ultimately the lives of a lot of people. So it's it's really fascinating. Wow. So we've discussed effects of vitamin D, sources and intake, and lab factors related to vitamin D. Before we wrap up, let's talk about teamwork and healthcare around vitamin D. We know there's been an an advantageous trend at the intersection of healthcare education and healthcare treatment. That is the move toward interprofessional education where we increase communication and teamwork between healthcare team members. There is the concept of discussing information within our disciplines, like physicians conferring with other physicians, nurses discussing information with other nurses, et cetera. But interprofessional approaches would pertain to multiple members of a healthcare team, even the patient, communicating with each other, learning from each other, and trying to provide team care. So providers, nurses, therapists, registered dietitian, nutritionists, et cetera, are all talking to provide quality care, That being said, what do you see as barriers to patients who are unaware of the importance of vitamin D or how to make sure they don't forget about this component of health?
0: Yeah, it's extremely important. And I give a lot of presentations, not only to doctors, but also healthcare professionals, including nurses, um, and um, to reiterate the importance of vitamin D for your health. And what I point out to them is that I'm not really just teaching them about vitamin D for their patients, but I'm teaching them for their own health benefit and the family's health benefit. And, and that then kind of uh, provides the opportunity for them to now think, well, sure. if I can benefit, you know, my patients can benefit. And then I think that it's much more a a topic um, that they are now thinking about when doing patient care, because I've already convinced them that improving your vitamin D intake and status will improve your health and the health of your family members.
1: How do you think healthcare teams, whether a hospital, provider's office, clinical, public health offering, et cetera, can communicate with each other to better address or address at all, lower deficient vitamin D levels in patients or clients?
0: Yeah. Um, so what you want to do is, you know, f- when they're having an intake, you know, they may be seeing a, um, a PA, right, or a nurse practitioner or a nurse, right? So they probably should ask, you know, what is your um, dietary intake? Are you taking a vitamin D supplement? Because like I said, you can't get enough from your diet. We already know that. Uh-huh. And so if you're uh-huh. not taking a supplement, you're likely to be vitamin D deficient or insufficient. And then the recommendation is, if you are concerned, is to measure your vitamin D status, which is uh-huh. 25 hydroxy vitamin D. Status
1: versus level. <laughs>
0: Correct. Because it's very confusing because people mm-hmm. think you're measuring your vitamin D level. You're not. Right. Even though vitamin D is in your bloodstream, even though vitamin D is made... Um, in your skin, you're not measuring it. You're measuring what is made by your liver, which is the major circulating form, 25 hydroxy vitamin D.
1: Got it. Okay. Can you give us a case scenario that illustrates how a healthcare team could have minimal communication and miss the signs and symptoms of low D levels in a patient?
0: I mean, that's pretty straightforward because, um, say, as we had talked about, cardiologists seeing a patient uh, because of angina, the last right, thing they're probably right. thinking about is their vitamin D status. Sure, but it would be, yeah. you know, the, the the intake person, the PA uh, or nurse, that if, if realizing that vitamin D is so important, reduces risk of cardiovascular disease and stroke, that would make the recommendation um, that, you know, maybe the vitamin D status should be evaluated or at least recommend that you know you may want to think about taking a supplement and following the guidelines of the Endocrine society practice guidelines
1: fantastic well you have had a fascinating career my friend uh to be assigned vitamin D and uh the the how it affected your own life and the lives of so many it's just it's a fascinating journey and i could honestly could talk all day about this with you. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed by it. It seems vitamin D has become more popular as far as getting attention in various research, media, journals, and magazines, etc. It was great to be able to tackle this topic today and learn from a notable physician in this area. Another sincere thank you to you, Dr. Hollick, for joining us.
0: It's been my pleasure. I hope that you have a delightful day.
1: Thank you. Thank you again for listening. This is Leanna McGuire for Elite Learning by Calibri Healthcare.
0: This podcast featured content from an accredited CE activity provided by Calibri Healthcare. Visit EliteLearning.com slash podcasts for accreditation and disclosure statements and instructions on how you may be able to earn CE credits. Take your learning to the next level by subscribing to more podcasts on compelling healthcare topics.